Hello, listeners, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take ourselves about as seriously as the world does North Korea's missile program. I, I stutter because I wrote down misleading program, which uh, is a fun autocorrect, so thank you for that, iPad. Uh, joining me today, uh, once again, is my good friend Mike Labazetta Esquire. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back. Always good to have you. How have you been in the last couple of weeks? Good, good. Wanting to get back on the radio. That's <laughs> very important. Um, <clears throat> now, we're uh, between auto shows right now, uh, so there's not a whole lot of news to talk about, but we have come up with a sort of fun segment to do for our deep dive. But first, let's go ahead and get into the news. There's a report this week that uh, said that overall vehicle dependability was down in 2016 over 2015. Um, and the, it said that the top companies, uh, which should be no surprise to anyone, were, were Lexus, Toyota. But uh, somewhat surprising to me was Porsche was in there at number two, Mike. You know, Porsche. <laughs> German for reliability. Yeah, well, as we've discovered in recent years that German reliability is one of the uh, biggest fake news, as maybe the original fake news propagated out of Germany. Alternative fact. It, it has been an alternative fact, but uh, Mercedes-Benz is actually also in there at five. And in between Toyota and Mercedes-Benz at number four was Buick. Th this this is the one that surprised <laughs> me. I, I understand... Luxury car manufacturers wanting to put more money to build uh, better cars. But Buick seems to be spending money not just on marketing campaigns to convince you that it's not a Buick, uh, but also on reliability. So I guess they're trying to recapture those glory days when they were actually popular and reliable. Which were when? <laughs> you know, the glory days. Yeah, yeah. back Way back when. Back then. Back when America was great. Back then. Yeah. Um now, I hate you mentioned those Buick ads. I cannot stand those ads and their stupid so sort of faux house music backbeat type of thing. So you, you're you're a marketing guy. Explain this to me. Like, is it good? Does it make good sense to like convince people that you're not you? Now it it's worked for some companies. So uh, uh, conveniently, we just finished eating Domino's pizza, and <laughs> Domino's uh, went about it in a very self-deprecating way when they relaunched uh, their sort of pizza a couple years ago. Uh, had a a bunch of people doing commercials talking about how their pizza was like cardboard and stuff, and authentically, it is better now. Yeah, I I agree with that. So I think there can be an element to it if you do it in a positive way. Um, yeah, uh, I, I haven't seen that from Buick. It, no, it's still, it's, you, we're not a Buick. You don't, you won't think we're Buick. Yeah. It, it's sort of strange that it's lasted this long. Like they, uh, the Domino's thing was a stunt that they did for a little while, but yeah. it's, you know, what, three years later since they've started bringing over Opal's rebadged and <laughs> they're still trucking along with this horrible music. It definitely seemed like it was phase one of a multi-phase process that we're not Buick and now all of a sudden Buick means something different. So now we're that, but yeah, it's definitely weird that we're still stuck in we're not Buick. Well, and this is great news for the PSA group uh, who are looking to take over Buick from GM, as we heard last week. So uh, 
that's a really bit of strange news that I thought. Uh, apparently, in this study, the, the overall lack of dependability um, was down to the increased complexity of the vehicles. And although the average of uh, the industry was about 156 problems per 100 vehicles, uh, this was due to apparently a lot of audio, communication, entertainment, and navigation system issues, which accounted for about 22% of all the reported problems, according to J.D. Power. And I don't know about you, but I have been in cars where the navigation system just occasionally stops working. Yeah, I've, I've actually not had, ever had a car that has navigation that we use, um, but the Bluetooth on my wife's uh, CX-5 definitely goes right, yeah. in and out. So I I guess it's just, you know, we have problems with our computers at home, and now those are coming over into our cars. So it actually got me wondering, like, I, I wonder if manufacturers will start making base models like they used to, you know, that they have power windows or anything like that to cut down on complexity. But... I wonder if you can with laws like you have to have Bluetooth in some states. You can't be on your phone holding it. Or, right. Uh, so I I don't know if they can go back to, you know, bog standard, no frills models anymore. Well, and my wife's car, the Civic, with 206,000 miles on it, which, hello, ladies, is for sale. So if uh, anybody's interested, obviously. G- gentlemen, anybody with, yeah. you know, what are you selling it for? $7? Yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah depending on the exchange rate. Um, <laughs> but it has a, an airbag light warning on because it has a side impact airbag and the sensor for that is tied into the seat belt and that sensor has gone bad so some of these um newfangled contraptions are required by safety rules yeah so yeah. that's another thing that can go wrong for, for but, those considering buying it i can confirm the airbag has not deployed as of the recording of this it podcast. has not and the takata airbag that was <laughs> in the steering column has been replaced oh, so that is uh of paramount uh, importance. Uh, J.D. Power did say that the uh, traditional problems with uh, suspension and mechanical issues are getting better. Um, Of all the brands that uh, improved the most year over year, Hyundai uh, was the number one, uh, and they jumped up into the sixth spot. And uh, this, I think, uh, confirms what a lot of people have believed in that Hyundai is getting a lot better I think now they're sort of at the point where uh, Toyota and Honda were in the the 2000s and maybe the early 2010s in terms of reliability. And uh, you really can't go wrong with those cars. And increasingly, Kia, too, which is a Hyundai brand. Yeah, well, Hyundai was... They were the first to come out with a hundred thousand mile warranty, weren't they? That's right. So they're 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 putting their money where their mouth is, and they they knew that would cost them a lot of money if they didn't make better cars. So they they have followed through. It seems like they're investing to uh, erase their past, whereas Buick may be <laughs> investing to get back to their past. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at the bottom of the list, though, uh, breaking my heart was Infinity at fifth, fifth to last. And uh, judging by the uh, Sorry, <laughs> situation buddy. in which I had to get rid of my Infinity, a <laughs> hole developing in the head gasket, uh, perhaps not too surprising. Ford, which is uh, bad news for my wife, who just bought the uh, Fusion Energy Mitsubishi, predictably, and then beyond that, all of the Fiat Chrysler brands. <laughs> oh, oh, and and the last that I I just love, uh, Fiat apparently has 
298 problems for every 100 cars. <laughs> so just schedule your uh, your trimesterly appointments now. Yep. As soon as you uh, sign the papers to uh, to take ownership of the car, schedule your first service appointment. Cinquecento for... was a promise of how many times they will see you. <laughs> Uh, next up, uh, Toyota and Shell have announced a partnership on hydrogen and I've covered hydrogen quite a lot recently, but that's because I honestly believe that Toyota is onto something with, uh, their Mirai vehicle and, uh, with the partnerships that they have developing. Uh, it certainly doesn't have the sort of cool cachet of electric vehicles, but I think it honestly serves a greater opportunity for long-haul trucking, certainly, but also, I think, in passenger vehicles. Uh, there is an interesting quote from Oliver Bishop, who is uh, Shell's general manager for hydrogen. He said that Shell wants to be the f at the forefront of this technology. Um, <clears throat> the uh, support of government and of companies like Toyota need to be there to make it work. Hydrogen is clean, it's flexible, and has many applications. What's not to like about it? I, I think that's right. I think it, it matches most closely to what our current infrastructure is. Obviously, electric, you have to sit at a charging port for, in some cases, many, many hours at a time, whereas with the right. hydrogen, you can just, well, literally pump it into your tank in five or ten minutes. So it's, I think it fits most with what we have now and... I mean, he's absolutely right. You need support from from car companies. But uh, I did some digging, and Toyota has sold uh, just over 2,800 Mirais in uh, Japan, U.S., Europe, and UAE. Uh, 1,500 in Japan, 1,200 in the U.S. Of course, this doesn't compare at all to Tesla's Model S, which is selling five to 10,000 a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but they're also not producing them that quickly. Right. You know, it, it takes a long time to... Um, and, and I read a little bit about this as well. So it, because of the fact that it has compressed hydrogen in it, um, and hydrogen happens to be the same thing that the Hindenburg was filled with, which... Well, the Hindenburg, <laughs> to be fair, was also coated in rocket fuel. That's true. Um, and to my knowledge, they haven't done that with the Mirai. So I mean, the picture I saw was silver, so I can't confirm it wasn't, but... I don't know that that would make it past. Russia. I would. I would hope they've made a little bit of progress in that regard. Yeah, but they do actually surround the uh, hydrogen tanks within the Mirai. Yeah, uh, they encase them in a super thick carbon fiber uh, shell that is apparently bulletproof and crashproof and all sorts of things. So, the the technology and the the process of making those things apparently just takes a long time. So they can't roll them off the assembly line at the same rate as they do um, other cars, where you're basically just putting a bunch of laptop batteries together and plugging <laughs> them in. Right. Yeah. I, uh, and they're they're mounted obviously in the center of the car. They're they're midline in the middle of the car, so they're not. You're you're not going to get you know rear-ended and blow up and explode. Get all explodey. But uh, in, I, I did. I do have one completely useless statistic that I, I found. Uh, Japan was or, or Toyota was uh, touting that one Mirai drove sixty two thousand miles between September of two thousand and fifteen and and February of two thousand sixteen. So just over what is that five months? But uh, <laughs> that, is, that it, is too much driving. <laughs> it did sixty two thousand miles on 
one metric ton of hydrogen. And wow. I had no idea what that meant. So yeah. I, I, I just don't know. So I, I converted it to gas. So according to the EPA, the, the Mirai has a 66 miles per gallon equivalent, which would be 940 gallons for that 62,000 miles. Gasoline weighs 6.183 pounds per gallon, which means it would have burned 5,812 pounds of gasoline. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> that is way too much homework to be doing for a podcast with three listeners, uh, two of whom are you and I. <laughs> hopefully that third one's a mathematician. I Well, I hope not, because then they'll have to check your work. <laughs> yeah, scratch that. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening, third listener, please don't T- check Tune out now. Yes. Or tune out before. Too late. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, as we, as I reported last week, uh, Peugeot Citroen DS PSA Group uh, has been looking at buying uh, Buick off of GM. But apparently they're also looking at buying Proton, which is the Malaysia-based car company that has owned Lotus since 1996. And... I don't know what has gotten into the water in France uh, that they're just going on a spending spree, but maybe you know something about the euro exchange rates that I don't. Well, it's certainly not doing well against the dollar, but maybe with Brexit, they just want to buy everything so the Brits can't have it. That that makes sense, especially with Lotus being a historically British car company. Yeah. I, You know, uh, Proton said six years ago they were going to divest Lotus, and they never did, and Back then, the, the two leading con- contenders were uh, the uh, company out of Shanghai and Luxembourg. There's well, a, a capital, uh, Luxembourg's Jenny Capital was oh, the other company. Of course, so. uh, the household name Jenny Capital from yeah. Luxembourg. Yeah. Well, apparently China is in the running again because uh, although PSA might buy Proton, there's speculation that Lotus could go separately to Chinese company Geely or Geely? Geely? Geely, like the Jennifer Lopez film? Geely. Geely? This is Geely. Geely. E-E-L-Y. Yeah. Which is probably a poor transliteration anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, we're just dumb Americans, so why would we bother pronouncing it right? Yeah. But Geely actually owns uh, Volvo, so they do have some uh, significant automotive chops there, and it might be good for Lotus, which um, apparently just posted its first profit in a long time last year. Yeah, two decades. Yeah, you, you wouldn't know it by how many low, to, low tie, low tie. Y- you see on the on the streets. I, I rarely ever see nope. an Exige or an Elise. But I am excited for the next iteration of the Elise. They're apparently going back to their roots of small, light, and cheap. Relatively. Simplify and add lightness. There you go. Yeah. So I, I may actually have to save up for that one. Yeah, yeah. Start those uh, penny banks now. Um, next up, the uh, there is a report this week that SUV production has been outpacing the demand for SUVs. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast, you would know that demand for SUVs has been rising astronomically. And there's a report from LMC Automotive that suggested that SUV sales could grow to be 43% of the market by 2024 and could grow as high as 50% of the market. That That's insane. I, that's crazy to me. I, I can't imagine any one type of car being one out of every two. Yeah. And I mean, it, I, I mean, I drive 52 miles round trip to work every day 
and in my little Mazda 3 hatchback, I already feel like I'm the smallest car on the road at any given time. Yeah. Like I, I can't see over anybody around me. So, you know, having it be honest to God, 50% of the market is sort of terrifying. Yeah. I And to the point about the overproduction, I think it just speaks to the fact that companies have gotten really good at retooling their factories. I, I looked it up. So when Ford made the shift to the aluminum F-150, uh, they retooled one of their rogue factories. It took them just eight weeks to completely Jeez. retool. That's so incredible. companies can turn on a dime essentially and start producing and they can do it, it apparently without thinking about what the future market's going to be. Yeah. Well, um, if you happen to be one of the many people out there looking for SUVs, uh, Lexus, like I mentioned uh, last week, has run out of the LX and RX vehicles. But Chevy, Buick, and Jeep are offering four-figure incentives on some of theirs. In fact, incentives are up 24% uh, this month as a year-over-year year against February last month versus a rise of 13% overall for cars in general. So there are some pretty pretty fancy deals to be had on SUVs out there right now. Get yourself a car. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if you're gonna get a car, go go get a Mustang or a Camaro or something. Don't buy another damn SUV or a Hyundai. Apparently, don't get a crossover. Yeah, get a crossover. That's that's not a get a Hyundai. That's not a crossover. Um, uh, in unbelievable news, uh, <laughs> Faraday Future has announced uh, its intention to race at Pikes Peak. Um, now. Electric cars at Pikes Peak always have had sort of an advantage because at 14,000 feet, air becomes pretty thin, as I can tell you from first-hand experience trying to walk a little bit on top of Pikes Peak. Um, so with internal combustion cars, that's why you see so many cars having uh, really tightly spooled uh, turbochargers on them to ram all that thin air in so that those cars can create the same amount of power that they would at normal atmospheric pressure. Uh, EVs fare better because they don't have to depend on air, obviously, for combustion. Uh, Tesla is going to be running a one of their P100D models there this year, uh, undoubtedly in insanity mode, because... <laughs> they ran last year, so... Why would you go any other way? Last year, I, the... Uh... The fastest time posted was something like eight minutes and 57 seconds. Uh, Tesla posted a time. Oh, they actually ran the Tesla S. So they ran in the production category. Okay. Uh, and they posted 11 minutes and 48 seconds. Not too bad. Honestly, for a heavy car, you know, loaded down with batteries and actual, you know, creature comforts. Yeah. 11 minutes is a fast way to haul ass up that mountain. Uh, what will probably not be hauling ass up that mountain is a Faraday future car, despite what they tell you. But uh, they've got a couple months to, to actually figure it out and make a car that's really totally actually real. They may actually enter the first ever virtual reality Pikes Peak climb. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. They, what they did, they, yeah, they didn't say if they were doing it in uh, Gran Turismo or not. There you go. And even with their one-fifth scale factory, they can probably manage a, a VR uh, simulation. That's true. Or maybe they're doing a one-fifth scale mountain. <gasps> with a one-fifth scale car? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, it'll take one-fifth the time. They'll set a record <laughs> that nobody cares to beat. <laughs> Tiny little RC car. Yeah. 
All right, so uh, fortunately this week there was a new car. Unfortunately, what that new car was was the Mercedes-AMG GT4, which is another four-door coupe. And I, I know this trend sort of started with the uh, Mercedes CLS, which I always thought sort of looked like a slug because it was, you know, tapered on both ends and had no rear headroom to speak of. But I, I, this is a trend I just do not understand why it has taken off. I guess because the people who bought Mercedes and Porsches now have kids? I guess. I, I mean, at that point, do, why would you not buck up and buy the actual saloon with actual doors and usability? Because your kids don't have heads? Maybe, maybe that's it. You know, I, I haven't really taken a close look at the back seats of those cars as I drive past them, but I would not be surprised to see headless children back there. Yeah. I, I think this is a, a, a big, uh, vote of confidence in AMG by Mercedes. It's, it's the first time they've really stepped out obviously with the, they did the GT, but, and the SLS, let's face it though. The SLS was basically a 300 SL with modern day put, put into the modern day. So this is, I, th- I think this is the first real AMG standalone car. It, it, you say that, but it is on the same platform as the C63, the E63, and the S63 AMG. So what we're not really getting is a totally new car. The, the engine is new. It's a twin-turbo V8 that will soon find its way into the <laughs> C63, the E63, right. the S63. But what we're basically getting is a different body style of those cars that's probably tuned up a little higher to 600 horsepower. Well, and it'll be interesting to see which of this technology also works its way into the uh, relaunched Maybox. That's true. Um, uh, This car is apparently supposed to compete with the Porsche Panamera, and it looks a lot like the Porsche Panamera. Same sort of long sloping hood same sort of almost a wagon rear end yeah and i i'll be the first to admit that i could not stand the idea of the porsche panamera when it came out but when they recently announced the second generation i thought you know what that is a damn fine looking car you think about having headless kids you know what? Uh, it, my wife's a biologist. If she can figure out how to uh, create some headless children without the need for a guillotine, then uh, we may consider it. I, I, I agree with you, though. I, the Panamera came out, and I didn't like it, and it's honestly grown on me. So We may see the same thing with the GT4. Yep. Now, uh, in terms of obituaries, we do have one this week. Uh, It's been a while since a car has gotten killed off completely. But uh, in truth, this car stopped production in November of last year. But it's the first that anybody is really talking about it going away. And that is the Toyota Venza, which uh, is, for all intents and purposes, a Camry wagon jacked up a little bit. Uh, to look more like a minivan, but isn't a minivan. And uh, so I grew up in the back of a, a 94 Toyota Camry wagon, which was in that dark green color that you see every Ooh. Toyota Camry wagon in. I have seen a silver one, uh, but that was only once, and it may have been repainted. Uh, <laughs> so I and I've always had a, a love for wagons. My parents had a Mercedes E320 wagon after that, so... 
they were definitely wagon people. Yeah. Uh, my dad had a Jeep Wagoneer. <laughs> nice. So they even had wagon in the name. Not yeah. quite a wagon, obviously, well. more SUV. But um, that uh, the the death of the Venza really leaves the Toyota Highlander as the only sort of spiritual successor to the Toyota Camry wagon on the market anymore. Yeah, I I didn't have anything for this segment. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't grow up in a wagon. Um, grew up in an 83 Tercel, so little little hatchback. Fond Toyota memories. So, uh, yeah, I love Toyotas. But uh, the, the, the thing that struck me about this story was how bizarrely attached the Canadians were to the Venza. Yeah, apparently... Uh, some months in Canada, the Toyota Venza actually outsold the Camry. And maybe we shouldn't be surprised by this, uh, given the absolute tank in popularity in mid-sized passenger cars um, and the, uh, the you know skyrocketing popularity of crossovers. But uh, of all crossovers, the Toyota Venza, <laughs> you know, like, it's just very strange. You're right. Canadians were just too polite to let the line die. Yeah, you know, they figured, oh, the Americans aren't buying them? Well, bring them on up here. We'll take them off your hands, eh? You all right with that? Uh, no, it's pretty offensive. Let's and they're, like, the freaking nicest people Let's ever. get on to the next section. Okay, before let's they... move on to the deep dive. So this week, we wanted to sort of toss a question out there. And I don't know if it's the fact that it's February, but it has been in the 70s. But Mike and I have been thinking about road trips. Getting out on the great American highways and seeing this lovely, already great nation of ours. (laughs) So... Yes. No politics. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, it's... uh, it, it, you're right. It's this weird sort of mix of it's February, so a little bit of cabin fever, but it's been gorgeous. And so. I've been driving home with my windows down every day yeah. and wondering why not everybody is doing the same. Yeah. So sort of we'll approach this from a, a, a couple different ways. So what is your ideal road trip? And then what is the best car for that road trip uh, to haul you and Let's say a family between three and four people. Sounds good. Now, in terms of the road trip, we want to limit it to continental U.S.? I think we should. Okay. Uh, I think Because it sense. can be anywhere otherwise, and there are way too many places throughout the world I actually want to go. Right, right. I mean, well, let's face it. If we could do anywhere in the world, we'd both just say Stelvio Pass and That's true. be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in terms of cars, do we want to say you have to own this car? You have to buy this car or are we okay renting the car? Oh, I'm, I'm renting this. There's okay. no way I'm thrashing my own car. It's <laughs> perfect because any car I would want on a road trip, I probably would not want in to actually own. Yeah. In real life. D- different criteria for commuting from a suburb to a city than going on an amazing road trip. Right. So, sir, what would your ideal road trip be? So I like a mix of things. I, I like both 
the city and being out in the country and seeing, you know, national parks and natural landmarks and that sort of thing. So I think I would like to do something like uh, the Pacific Coast, something down from Seattle down to L.A. Solid choice. Yeah. I did the U.S. or the California one going up from L.A. to to San Francisco when I lived out there, when I had my infinity, and it was one of my favorite vacations. Even though I did it alone, Yeah, I had so much fun just driving those awesome roads. Before the hole in the head gasket? This was before the hole in the head gasket. (laughs) Did it cause the hole in the head gasket? Uh, Not that I know of. (laughs) It probably did contribute somewhat, though. Yeah, that that sounds amazing. Yeah. So uh, for me, I mean, there are so many different places you could go in America and have a great time. We did a road trip from Boston up to Maine, which was absolutely beautiful, stopping in the towns uh, sort of along the the New England coast. And uh, Acadia is an absolutely a place everybody should go before they die because it's fantastically beautiful. Bar Harbor is a great little town, tons of awesome little bed and breakfasts. Uh, we actually extended our stay in Bar Harbor. We were planning on coming back down the coast and doing a couple towns on the way back to Boston, but we kept adding nights onto our room in Bar Harbor because it was so nice. So we ended up staying in like three out of the six rooms at this bed and breakfast because <laughs> they had booked our room right. for other nights, so we kept having to move. Um, but there's also, I mean, the Gulf Coast uh, doing New Orleans down to Florida. Uh, and someplace I've never been is the Tale of the Dragon uh, across the Appalachian Mountains. And I know that's sort of been cracked down upon recently by cops uh, trying to get people to stop speeding through there. I know there are a ton of bikers who love to go along there, so maybe not the greatest road for for driving. Yeah, we used to... Uh, so my, my family, I still have a lot of family down in Atlanta, so we used to drive St. Louis to Atlanta quite a bit. Uh, catching the tail end of the the Appalachians and uh, driving through Tennessee. The speed limits are generous, but the police are very strict. So you're limited (laughs) to that. And then I've also been in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia and another place where, again, they're very strict about uh, the speed limits. Yeah. And uh, Virginia, no radar detectors either. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had a radar detector in my car for probably about eight years now. I've never had a radar detector in my car, which is probably, well, never mind. (laughs) I haven't found that one way or another it stops you getting tickets. (laughs) It did, however, get my car broken into when I was working at Applebee's. So that was a lovely $250 window later. Um, But, uh, I mean, you could go into the Southwest, drive across the desert. Um, Yeah, that's actually how my wife and I knew we were meant to be together we we did a just the two of us a road trip from st louis stuck in the desert and didn't kill one another <laughs> uh not quite but we did a, a just the two of us a road trip from st louis all the way to the grand canyon awesome it's down along route 66 and 24 hours in the car together you you learn that you're either going to be together or you're not yep. and we didn't kill each other so we're together <laughs> there you go i i think in terms of my perfect road trip though um and these are roads I've, I've already driven on somewhat, but would probably be going from Denver to Seattle. Ooh. So you're driving through the Rockies, yep. maybe cut over into Utah, visit the plateaus and Zion National Forest. Because yeah. um, I'm a very outdoorsy type of guy. We're sitting in a house that backs to a bunch of wooded common ground, 
Cause Saw five or six deer on the way in. Yeah, absolutely. We got a family of owls who I'm surprised haven't interrupted <laughs> us already. Um, but I love being out in nature and uh, sort of having a trip where you can be along a, a great series of roadways, have a, a blast driving to where you're getting, and then when you're getting there, be among the most beautiful sights in the country. Yeah. that That's, uh, you know, top for me. Can't go wrong with that. So you and your uh, your Pacific Coast trip, what would your ideal car be, do you think? So I think, so assuming we have kids, which we don't, but uh, assuming we did, I would want something that had space because I remember being in road trips as a kid and having a minivan was really nice so mm-hmm. something with space in it so minivans get a bad rep but i tell you they're one of the most comfortable ways to get around we rented a, a chrysler town and country a few years ago when we went down to florida for spring training and as long as you didn't mind seeing yourself in it it's amazing <laughs> to actually be inside the car yeah no they're uh, as far as as places to be go they're one of the most comfortable ways to drive yeah unless you're driving a honda odyssey which has been massively recalled well, you know, they're exciting, <laughs> not for the right reasons. Right. Uh, so I, I think I'd want something with, with internal capacity. So things like hatchbacks and, and GT cars would probably be out for me. Right. Um, I think I always envy kids who had conversion vans because, mm-hmm. well, when I was a kid, they were like little houses. They had the curtains and the... You know, the plush carpeting and all that stuff. And out here, you always saw the ones with the Osage stickers on the yep. back because that was the big dealership. Yep. Yep. Uh, and actually, I had a friend who she had her family had one and the back seat were fully folded into a bed. Full flat bed. Nice. It's like, all right. That'd be um, great to do with the kids. <laughs> Sit down, shut up and go to sleep. <laughs> and they did that quite a bit. They just told her to sit down and shut up and go to bed. Um, but I don't think that would be practical for, for going in and out of cities. I, you know, I agree, you know, especially if you're talking about going to San Francisco, you get a lot of tight streets, a lot of, uh, really sharp turns. Yeah. Lombard street would be hell. Yeah, it would be. I don't think you'd have a lot of fun driving there. Plus they'd be like two tons of truck on the brakes. You'd probably burn out your brakes. That's true. Um, not to mention gas mileage. For a conversion van, not great. Yeah. On my trip on the California one, I pulled into Big Sur on fumes because (laughs) I did not plan well enough and fill up before a long stretch of about 100 miles without a gas station. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think I got to say conversion vans are out and for the same reasons, full size SUVs. Right. So we're left with minivans and crossovers, I think. Oh, God. Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Um, honestly, though, I, I don't know that I would take the CX five, the, the, the crossover that I have, I think yeah. it's too small to do a a large road trip like that. Yeah. So, for a long trip, having a ton of bags, it would be really difficult. Yeah. So at that point, we're looking at something the size of a CX nine, you may as well get a minivan at that point. Yeah. I mean, the CX nine, especially the new one looks really neat yeah. and it has a, a turbocharged, uh, engine, which to me that that CX nine is, is sort of playing with fire there because you've got the Skyactiv engine technology, which is a um, 
a high compression uh, compression engine exactly and then you're boosting it yeah so that just has i, I mean i'm sure mazda's tested it like crazy sure but it has a recipe for disaster yeah but i you know I, again it goes back to you know the reliability we were talking about earlier i'd, I'd rather have something that's maybe a little less fancy and a little more reliable especially mm-hmm. if you're going on a road trip you want to be able to find things like repair shops if you need it they can work on it uh find tires that sort of thing so so reliability wouldn't be the town and country then well that's true <laughs> and up until recently it would have been the odyssey um but something like the the toyota minivan um so I think I'm going minivan. I think the I think Sienna's you've me a into solid it. choice. You, I mean, you've talked me into it. They've it's got the the 3.5 liter V6, so it's gonna haul ass too. Yeah, not just be you know a nice place to be and a, have a ton of storage room. I think it's hard to go wrong. Um, <clears throat> so for for my trip, yeah, from Colorado all the way up to. Washington. I guess we didn't talk about time of year, but I mean, for the Pacific coast, you could pretty much go whenever. Yeah. I, I mean, you may want to avoid the depths of winter up in Seattle just because it'll be slick and cold and drizzly. But... Yeah. Hell, not just the depths of winter. We went in June and went hiking and nearly froze our asses off oh, in the you, mountains. You just got unlucky. We've been up, I think, three times now. It's rained a total of 30 minutes. <laughs> No, it, we it, we didn't see that much rain either. I, I mean, Seattle gets a bad rap for rain, just like minivans do as cars to drive. But I I think it's <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. There's a connection there. That similarly Shut works. Up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I go to Seattle. That's great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I think for me, uh, I'd probably want to go in the winter or in the summer rather. Avoid any yeah. uh, sort of issues because I. You know, as beautiful as Colorado is in the winter, you can run into issues with, um, like, the Berthold Pass being closed yeah, uh, and, and roads being fairly treacherous. Yeah, e- even if they're open, you don't want to be on a, on a Rocky Mountain road uh, with little or no guardrail and it, marginal, it having marginal traction. Absolutely. Um, I think for me, I mean, the obvious choice for... A, a Colorado road trip or a north e- or Northwest road trip is a Subaru uh, because of the all-wheel drive. You go to Colorado, you see Subarus freaking everywhere. Yeah. Um, so an Outback 3.6R would be a great choice. And I think if I had to buy my car, that would definitely be the choice. I think it's a solid choice. I but, think that terrain warrants the, uh, the additional stability of the, the Subaru. But I think if we're talking about cars that we could rent and not have to own or expect any sort <laughs> of longevity out of, um, I, I would still keep it in the wagon family. I, you know, I, you talk about the, the storage capacity of a minivan, which is great, uh, and the SUV is even more so. But I, I just I like driving so much. And if you're talking about hitting like mountain passes with corners you can just carve up. I wouldn't want to be in something with a really high center of gravity. Yeah. And that rules out SUVs. And even though like the, the Sienna's on the, the Camry platform, so it's, you know, a lot lower to the ground. It's still a tall vehicle. Right. One that that's great for bombing down roads straight on, but not so great for mixing it up in the corners. Yeah. So, 
and this goes back to our conversation earlier. You know, I grew up in a wagon. I'm a wagon guy. All right. So I think I'd have to go with an Audi RS6. That's a good call. Because there you're getting a massive, I think, 500 horsepower engine. Yeah. All-wheel drive. Yep. Storage in the back. And enough tricky suspension bits to keep you on the road when you're going around corners entirely too quickly. Yeah. As I like to take them. <laughs> and you could throw a roof rack up on that thing and it's not absurdly tall. So you oh, can yeah. still get to the stuff that you need to. Exactly. Sure. Throw some skis up there if you're getting up there sort of later on in the year or yeah. earlier. Or later or whenever. Yeah. Climate change, who knows. But holy hell, I would not want to own an Audi. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think they said the Audi all road is like the least reliable vehicle of all time. I believe it. And with German maintenance costs, I, you yeah, know, it's only recently that Audi isn't the top spot for the most expensive to own in the U S. Yeah. And there's a good reason it's been there for as long as it has. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, go on a California coast, take a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> not where i thought we'd end up but here we are yep i like it great advice from uh, your friendly neighborhood car podcast go get a minivan and drive up to california coast <laughs> all right well that's it for this week's deep dive and that'll bring us to this week's call to action uh now i think very often it's really easy for us to get set in a routine where we're just slogging through every day and every day becomes every week and we find ourselves uh, on the verge of burnout because we haven't found a, a reason to keep going with what we're doing and I think a, a, a great way to do that is to find an effective creative outlet that allows you to continue working but doing something for nobody else but yourself and uh, for me that creative outlet is this podcast and writing for this website because I've always had this passion about cars that I haven't really had an outlet to do anything with. And the capital outlay for me is pretty cheap. You know, I pay for a website. I pay for the audio gear. I pay for the pizza to get my friends come over and talk to me. Um, but it, it helps me get through every week having a sense of accomplishment that I did something fun and creative that week. And I think it's all, it's important that we all find that outlet. Mike, what is your creative outlet? So, well, first off, I think you and I both share one in, in photography. I like getting out and, and really, uh, seeing things and telling a story through a single picture. Finding the beauty in the world. Yeah. Uh, but recently I've been doing small watercolors. Uh, I just went out and like a cheap thing. You can buy a, a, a small notepad and some cheap brushes at target or wherever and a cheap set of paints. And I think for less than 30 bucks, I'm into a hobby and I'm, uh, terrible at it. Uh, but just getting out from behind the computer screen and either finding a picture online that I like, or, or just looking out the window and trying to paint what I see. Um, the process of learning how to do that, how to put what I see onto paper, uh, in a cohesive and artistic way is extraordinarily freeing. Uh, and I, as you said, it allows me to get out of my, my otherwise dreary zone and, and do something that uh, is just completely fanciful 
uh, and, and creative. And that's challenging. It challenges you to learn and do something better. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you're probably better at uh, painting than I am at podcasting. But no, no, <laughs> do, do not write in listeners asking for, for first edition watercolors from me. That I, I think that'll be in a couple of weeks, probably, right? Oh, jeez. Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're going to call it a day there, podcasters. Uh, thank you for listening. And thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. And this week, in the spirit of our uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me, Zag, in recommending the uh, Toyota Sienna as the perfect road trip vehicle. 20 Serpentine, keep it 20 guessing. Serpentine. Um, I want to leave you with a, the audio of a Toyota Previa, <laughs> which, of course, was the precursor to the Toyota Sienna and was actually mid-engined, which not only gave it a great center of uh, gravity, but made it pretty good at drifting. <laughs> so here, listeners, is your moment of zen. Hey everyone, I know you've just enjoyed your moment of zen, but before I let you go, I wanted to tell you that you are no longer shackled by the need to listen to this humble podcast through our sometimes shoddy website. Yes, I have submitted our RSS feed to iTunes and Stitcher and a litany of other sites, so wherever you listen to podcasts, you should be able to find and subscribe to Always Drive. If you can't find it, drop me a line and we'll get right on it. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.